This is the Bridge Church Podcast, an audio ministry of the Bridge Church, a Nazarene community in Oahu, Hawaii. Please visit us in person or check us out online at bridgenaz.org. We hope to hear from you. We hope to see you. God bless. Mahalo. Um, So today we are going to take a pause from regularly scheduled programming. Um, We're going to take a pause from our walk through Genesis. Thank you. Um, And here, near the start of the season of Advent, we're going to reorient our attention. So we're going to turn our attention to the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, which uh, speaks about the beginnings of Jesus' earthly life. In the church, of course, we call God taking on flesh incarnation. That's our churchy word for it. Um, But as Luke's story gets underway, it gives us some background leading up to Jesus' birth. And I hope that for those of you who are in deep groups this week, you're able to read through the first couple of chapters. Um, But we meet uh, numerous figures in the beginning of Luke who are waiting for a Messiah, a Deliverer. We meet characters with whom God shares special insight about Jesus before He's even born. We meet characters like Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, and Jesus' aunt. We meet Mary, the mother of Jesus. We meet Gabriel, an angelic herald of God. We meet Zechariah, a priest in the temple. We meet others like Simeon. We'll talk about uh, him in a few weeks. And then there's also this prophetess. Her name is Anna. And the point is, is that as Luke's story gets underway, all these characters, they themselves, are in this period of waiting, a period of adventus. That's the Latin word, but advent in English a period of waiting, adventus. That's what Advent means. And so Advent is the season, too, in which we should assume a posture of waiting. At least the church calendar calls on us to assume a posture of waiting. We're not, of course, waiting for Jesus' birth. That's already happened. We are waiting for Jesus' return. It's a different kind of Advent. Uh... But it's an advent nonetheless. And that means that we should be able to relate to these characters on some level and in some way because they were waiting. I mean, who among us, after all, has not waited on God to move in our lives? (laughs) For God to come through for us? Who among us has not desired at one time or another for Jesus to just return and like stop all the madness? We've waited for such things, for God to come through, for the madness to end, for Jesus to return. Maybe we've pined after or longed after such things. Something I strive to reiterate when we open the scriptures is how the people, the characters we meet there, they're not so different than us. They're not. We've had this tendency to sort of elevate them because they're characters in Scripture, or people in Scripture, but they're really not different than us with all of our raw and sharp and broken edges. They were real, flesh 
and blood people living, breathing, eating, drinking, working, and trying to make ends meet, just like me and you. Waiting, just like us. And as we wait today, I want us to turn our attention to Mary. Um, now, most Protestants, us, most evangelicals, us, uh, feel some way about Mary. Uh, many have this sort of negative predisposition because of how Catholics have viewed Mary. And so the minute that we start talking about Mary with any esteem or any respect, it's almost as if some of us have an allergic reaction. But it shouldn't be that way. We, we may not have stained glass windows with Mary on them, like our Catholic friends. We may not have Mary statues in our yards, like our Catholic friends. We may not pray invoking the name of Mary, but we should have a deep and abiding respect for Mary. She was, after all, the first to tell another human on this planet about Jesus, as if she did it on another planet. I mean, she was the first to tell any human about Jesus. Have you ever thought of that? That she is in a very, in a very real sense, Mary, the first prophet or prophetess that we meet in the New Testament. The way that Luke portrays her, she fits right in line with Israel's prophets, keeps the party going. She was obviously the mother of Jesus. I mean, I'm sure you've thought about that. Um, and if we believe Jesus is God, as we should, then we should have no trouble affirming that Mary is the mother of God. That sounds weird to us. Yet it's the reality. I know it sounds very, very odd to Protestant ears to say Mary is the mother of God, that God has a mother. Don't have a reaction. Uh, the church has for a long time actually had a specific word for this. Maybe it should have been our word of the day, but it's not. It's a Greek word. It's theotokos, which literally means God-bearer. It's a Greek compound word. Mary is the only person in history to have carried God in her womb. Literally, she offered up her womb to God. And when he spoke to her, she, in one of the most scandalous acts in all of human history, availed her womb to the God who created her. And lest you think <laughs> that's odd, I mean, it's kind of odd. I mean, think of it this way. Mary is an example for all of us in that way, too. Not only is she an example as the first to tell someone about Jesus, like we should be telling people about Jesus, not only is she an example as the first female prophetess in the, the, or proclaimer in the New Testament, just like we should be proclaimers, she also paved the way, so to speak, for having God himself dwell in us. The Spirit lived within her in a way that prefigured or set the stage for the indwelling of the Spirit in us. That could give many more reasons we should have a healthy and robust view of Mary. But I want to offer just one more way that I think she was an exemplar for us. And I'll try to make that clear as we think for a few minutes together about the song of Mary that she sung. It was spontaneous... Okay, but it was not original. 
We're going to look at this song. It was spontaneous, but not original. It carries great depth of insight. Historically, it's been called Mary's Song, or on a more elevated sense, the Magnificat. And it appears in Luke 1, to 56. And over the next few weeks, in fact, we're going to look at four different songs that appear in Luke 1 and 2. I'm calling the short series Playlist because, well, there's a sense in which this was the first Christmas playlist. Um, it was the first set of songs to accompany the Christmas story. So in the weeks to come, we'll consider a song from Zechariah and a song from Gabriel and a song from Simeon. But today, we want to think about Mary's song, which it's also often called a canticle, which just means a short song. It is kind of a short song. So I want us to have a look at that, but there's something we have to consider. Okay, It's origins. I just told you it was spontaneous. So how can it have origins? Well, I told you it was spontaneous, but not original, right? Mary's song is a pastiche of Hebrew scriptures, of Old Testament scriptures. Or to get to the word of the week, it's a mashup, right? And a mashup is just a creative blending of multiple songs. And here's what I want to suggest to you, that Mary's Magnificat sounds a lot better than Mary's mashup, but Mary's Magnificat is really a mashup. It doesn't sound as prettier, but it's, it's very, very accurate. None of Mary's song lyrics are her own. None of them. Every word is taken directly from the Old Testament, pretty much. What is her own is her mixing up or mashing up the, of the words, or to put it differently, her arrangement of the lyrics. Okay. So in a moment, I'm going to try something different um, as we think about the origins of Mary's song. But before we do that, I want to show you a short video, which is also different, because I don't typically show videos. Um, and I'm showing you this because it's a beautiful representation of a mashup. All right, so let's go to this. Here you go.
Yeah. Um, so it's beautiful, right? Yeah, so good. When we watch that, what we see is several strands of Christian tradition woven together in a beautiful and creative way. These guys do it pretty flawlessly. But they, they, right, they grab from how great thou art, and they mix it in with it is well, and they mix it in with great is thy faithfulness, and it turns into this creative mashup of Christian tradition. And that's very much what Mary is doing with her song that we're about to look at. She's taking from various strands of Jewish tradition, and she's creating this really intricate and beautiful mashup just like that. And the thing is, if we don't really know our Jewish traditions, if we don't really know our Old Testament, then we'll kind of miss it. We can just read it very flat and not even realize what's going on. So for instance, in Mary's song, we'll hear in, in just a moment, she draws on no less than 10 books of Old Testament scripture. She draws on Genesis and Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Job, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Micah, and Psalms. And she blends in various Psalms like Psalm 35, 89, 98, 103, 107, 111. And interestingly, she also mixes in other ancient Jewish literature and tradition outside of Scripture. She, for example, draws on an old work called the Psalms of Solomon, not Song of Solomon, Psalms of Solomon, a book called Sirach, a book called Fourth Ezra, and even a text from what we know today as the Dead Sea Scrolls. In other words, Mary's song is, as I said, not original. Nothing original about it except an arrangement. She borrows generously from other literature and traditions around her. And as I was thinking about how to present this to you, I could have simply showed you all the links and, or just left it at this, but I, I could have read them myself. Like all the, but I could have ignored them. But I wanted you to be aware of the makeup of Mary's song, of Mary's mashup. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going um, to read to you portions of Mary's song. And I'm going to have a few people come up and they're going to read other portions uh, so you can get an idea what Mary has done. So Christy and Sarah and Maria, I think, are going to come up. All right. Can I grab that mic, too? Thank you. Here you go. You all can use these two mics. I'll read from Luke and then... Your reader, one, two, and three, okay? Yes? All right, here we go. So here's Luke 46 and 47. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Psalm 35, 9. Then my soul will find gladness in the Lord. It will take pleasure in his salvation. Samuel 2, verses 1 and 2, Hannah's hymn. My heart is strengthened in the Lord. My horn is exalted in my God. I delight in your salvation. Habakkuk 3.18 I shall find gladness in the Lord. I shall rejoice in God my Savior. So you can see, right, how, how Mary's lines in Luke are drawing from these lines in the Old, in Old Testament and Jewish tradition. And go on to the next couple verses. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Indeed, from now on, all generations shall call me blessed. 
for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Genesis 29.32 Because the Lord has regarded my low estate. Ezra 9.45 Zion speaking as a barren woman. God heard your handmaid and regarded my low estate and considered my distress and gave me a son. Genesis 30.13 Fortunate am I, for all women call me fortunate. Deuteronomy 10.21, Moses to Israel. He is your God who has done great things in you. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in you. A mighty one will save you. Psalm 111.9, holy and awesome is his name. Psalm 103.17, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear him. Psalms of Solomon 13:11. His mercy is upon those who fear him. And then back to Luke, Luke 51. He has shown great things with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. 1 Samuel 2, 7 and 8. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He reduces to lowliness and he lifts up. He lifts the needy from the earth. And from the dung heap he raises up the poor to seat them with the mighty, making them inherit the throne of glory. Psalm 89:11, a hymn praising God's actions for the Davidic king. You have reduced the proud to lowliness like a wounded thing, and by your powerful arm you have scattered your enemies. Sirach 10:14. He has put down the thrones of princes and has seated the humble before them. Luke continues, he has filled the hungry with good things. He sent the rich away empty and has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Sorry, I might have skipped. Um, at Job. Job 12, 19, he has overthrown the mighty. 1 QM 10 through 11. You have raised the fallen by your strength, and have cut down the high and mighty. Ezekiel 12:31, having reduced the proud to lowliness, and having exalted the man of low degree. Psalm 107:9, he has filled the soul of the hungry with good things. Psalm 98:3. He has remembered his mercy to Jacob and his goodness to the house of Israel. Psalms of Solomon 10.4 And the Lord will remember his servants in mercy. Micah 7.20 He will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Israel, as you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. 2 Samuel 22.51 David's hymn at the end of his life showing mercy to his anointed one, to David and his posterity forever. And the end of Mary's song, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants. Isaiah? Isaiah 41, verses 8-9. You, O Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I chose, 
dear Abraham, my love, whom I have helped from the ends of the earth. All right. Thank you all so much. Give him a hand. From my perspective, this is pretty cool. Um, Mary is steeped in her religious tradition. She has a storehouse of scripture that has shaped her entire thought world, you see. She has a repository of scripture that has even shaped her very language. And when she opens her mouth, to speak about what God is doing in her life, she doesn't have to look far for words. Lyrics don't escape her. She doesn't draw a blank. She doesn't catch writer's block. The words are like a rush of water that break the dam and just flow out. They come out into a beautifully poetic song, or to put it differently, we see a woman whose life and life song are scripture-saturated. And in that way, Mary is truly an example to us. When we encounter Mary's song, Mary's Magnificat, we should be humbled by this. And we should also be encouraged, encouraged to have our lives look very similar to that. Our lives should have a similar shape, uh, scripture-shaped, scripture-saturated. And so it just makes me wonder, is your life scripture-saturated? Is it? Is your life scripture saturated? I, I wonder, if I asked you today, what is your Magnificat? What would you say, right? If you opened your lips to sing of the Lord's activity in your life, what would the lyrics be? What lyrics would come out? In fact, try it. Write a short poem or a song or a paragraph this coming week and see what words come out. Write your Magnificat. If you're up for sharing your Magnificat, I'd love to hear it. Text it to me, email it to me, call me, let me hear it. But typically, you know, I love to work just, I love to walk verse by verse through a passage. I'm not really going to do that today. Um, we've read it, we've seen its origins, and there's a sense in which we get the basic gist of Mary's message. I think it's this, is that Jesus is good news for everyone, especially those used to bad news. Of course, there's way more to it than that, but you get the point. In the midst of all of the bad news that we're confronted with as people, as humans, Jesus is good news. And the hard part of that message is, but the fullness of that good news requires some waiting, some advent. Mary and those around her had to wait to see Jesus born, and we have to wait to see him return. And now, just for a moment, I want to return to the point that Mary draws widely um, from and leans heavily on her Jewish tradition. I want to make one more point about this. Because I mentioned some of the Psalms that she uses, but there's one that I didn't tell you about. Namely, it's Psalm 113. And I want us to look at that because I have a word to say about it, and we're going to read this. Um, it reads this way. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. 
Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. So I trust you can see even some of the connections here between this and Mary's song. The words and the themes are so intimately locked into one another, intimately intertwined, that I think they're quite easily discerned. But there are a couple things that I want you to know. The first one is this, is that Psalm 113 is actually derived from Hannah's song, which Mary leaned on a lot in 1 Samuel. We read it just a few moments ago. But the second thing is this, is that Psalm 113 was used in Mary's day as a song sung every single Passover holiday. It's known as an Egyptian Hallel psalm. That is, Hallel, of course, is a Hebrew word that means praise. It's the first part of Hallelujah, right? And in other words, Psalm 113 is a praise song that the earliest Jews and Christians sung in connection with the Passover meal. The Passover, as you know, is that holiday that commemorates when God led the Israelites out of Egypt through the Exodus. And so the song reflects on how God redeemed his people from bondage and liberated them from captivity in Egypt. And that's what guides Mary's song. Mary, as a Jewish woman, arranges this new song of hers to make the point to everyone around her, Jesus is good news for everyone, especially those used to bad news. Jesus, in other words, is our new exodus. Jesus is our new exodus. And Mary's people, right, they had a history of bad news. Just read the Old Testament. This is a song that is celebrating the impending deliverance of her people through her son, the deliverance of Israel through her, but this time through this young Jewish woman and her child. So don't miss it. A humble young Jewish woman becomes the sign of God's hope for the world. In her, or in this, this seemingly small event, a great event lies hidden. And that's good news, I think, because even in us, seemingly small people, in the seemingly small events of our lives, someone great is hidden. It's called the Holy Spirit. And therefore, great events may be hidden too. But here's the thing. Those will only be enacted once we, like Mary, yield ourselves and our lives, our very insides, to God brings us to our bottom line something great lies hidden in you because someone great lies hidden in you and so how will you respond well let me ask the question I already asked what will your song be your life song what will your magnificat be but it's not fair if I only ask you that I have to ask myself that too so here's mine or I should just say a start to mine. I'm taking Mary's song and I'm going to make it my own. I'm giving it a new arrangement, as it were. My soul magnifies the Lord. I'm sold, soul mastered, bought, restored. 
been shown my heart of stone and it's no more been stoked by the spirit in me he's poured in this heart mind of mine more and more and more grace upon grace like he's running up the scoreboard waves of mercy bowing over like shore break curvy inundated i'm serving on board like surfing local motion i'm bursting forth for god my savior mindful of my lord and so let me suggest or rather stress from a state of humbleness like mary from now on all generations shall call me blessed because you see the almighty's been so good to me done so extravagantly yes his name that's omni holy on me holding holding all of me owning his hand extending from bc down to ad right on up to me so i stand a real man in fear of jc who's pursued my heart and never stopped chasing been next to me like adjacently choke mighty deeds but spit out the proud like masticating but i'm gonna bow to this king who brings down rulers like jenga block things takes over thrones with just the songs that he sings and the truth that he brings his liberty bell rings food for the hungry but fools stay empty stomached and the rich lose hundreds but he exalts his sons he exalts his beloved remembers his covered with whom he's in covenant descendants of his promise my soul magnifies the lord amen amen let's stand and let me bless you if you would turn your palms upright and receive this benediction and now brothers and sisters may your souls be saturated in scripture and overflowing with the presence of god may you magnify the lord and may your life song your magnificat be good news in the lives of those who have none amen brothers and sisters go in peace